Good evening, everyone. As she said, I'm Pastor Sean. Um, part of my duties here is over our men's ministry as well as um, the prayer ministry here. But any of the associate pastors would tell you we, we wear a lot of different hats. Um, I hope that you are enjoying this series as this deep dive into Romans chapter 8. Um, if you have not already received one of the booklets, please see one of our ushers to be able to get that. Um, it's going to help you in your study. There are such great implications of, uh, for us as believers um, that we really want to take a deep dive. Um, one of the thoughts that I had as we were kind of preparing um, for this um, particular um, sermon series is that Romans 8 is, is similar to like going to a museum. Um, in, in some cases, if you go to a museum, you may... I, I don't know, by the response in here, and, and no, maybe it's because of the mask or something like that. Maybe that's not a popular activity that we have. Um, but, but going to, to a place where there's a lot of different things to see, we can make a plan to just kind of get through the entire building and to, to be able to see everything, to kind of get somewhat of an experience. Um, but the thing with artwork is sometimes you have to sit and just look at it and look at it from different angles to really be able to capture the full beauty that's within the painting. And that's what we're trying to do here in ch from chapter 8 of, of Romans, is that we're really trying to capture what the Holy Spirit is making us aware of, um, because we think that it will have great implications on our life, helping us to move from death to life, and, and living that in such a way that we are kind of this this, this city on the hill or this light um, that is being able to be seen by others. The, the, the transformation that comes um, with this new life, um, Paul helps us tremendously in, in walking that out. And so this evening we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 17. And I will um, read that to you. Um, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the love that you continue to show to us. We don't take that for granted by any stretch of the imagination. Thank you, Daddy, for all the work that you have done to bring us into a space of knowing you, into a, a loving, intimate relationship. At this moment, Lord God, I ask that you would use me as a tool to communicate your message. Um, move me aside. They need to hear from you and not from me. So I pray that this is done. Help us to learn and help us to be transformed by the things that we learn. In the name of Jesus, amen. So then, Paul here has, has, has taken a turn within the chapter and wants us to kind of reflect on what has been said. So verse 1, now therefore there is no condemnation against us um, because of the work that was done by Christ coming in the likeness of sinful flesh and, and, and God condemning sin by putting him on the cross or having him go to the cross and, and, and him suffering the punishment that we rightfully deserved. Paul explains how there is a mindset on the flesh that leads to death. And there's a mindset on the, that, on the spirit that leads to life and peace. 
that there's no longer hostility between us and God. And these things are joyous. Last time that we met together, we, we talked about how even our bodies, our mortal bodies that are decaying, that we can have confidence, we can have a confident hope that we will receive these glorious bodies, that it won't just be an update of where we are. But as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, that my father who passed away from cancer, and you could see the ravages of cancer in his body, that one day I will see him again. I will see him in his full strength in the way that God intended him to be, that we can look forward to this as a future gift that God will give to us. We'll have bodies that won't be in a position where there's this war on the inside of us concerning sin, we'll be made like Christ. And so Paul here, he says, so then, because of that, we are debtors. We owe something. There are other translations say obligation. There's an obligation. There is something as believers, as Christians, that we have to return to God because of this great work that he's done. Passage continues on. It says, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul here, he's saying that because of what God has done, because of the position that we're in, because of the indebtedness that we are um, in, in as position as believers, as, as Christians, as, as sons and daughters of the most high God. Um, that there's this, this response that we need to have. Um, but he gives us a caution that the flesh isn't fully dead on the inside of us. That this tremendous um, proclamation that has made that there's no, now no condemnation on, on us any longer. Or that we're dead to sin because we died with Christ as Paul says in other spaces in Romans. That this truth is, is there. It's kind of in the future. We, we talked last time about. Have taken an eternal perspective as we look at this passage here that our 70, 80, 90, 100 years of life is like a vapor in comparison to eternity. So as we move into that kind of dispensation of our lives where we will be made like Christ, these things are true. They are a fact. It's something that we have to have grounded on the inside of us and, and help us to understand. Otherwise, we would look at verse 14, the second portion of it, and we would, would think, excuse me, the um, second portion of verse 13. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We would think that that's something that we need to do to earn our way back to God. Love the analogy that Pastor Corey used of, of using the law as a ladder to get to God. That's what our kind of dispensation, uh, uh, not dispensation, but our kind of proclivity to follow the flesh puts us back in that position where we try to earn our way back to him. So there, there is an indebtedness that we have and the flesh will come to try to say, hey, look, I still have charge over you and you must be obedient to me. It's something that, that we don't always understand. There, there are different, there are misconceptions out there. Sometimes we, we think that because we're saved, we should be delivered from this and we should no longer have to fight kind of the good fight of faith concerning the sin that is in our lives. And we, we become kind of passive in our walk with the Holy Spirit. 
But Paul is kind of warning, he's, he's, he's giving a stark warning that that's not how we are to live as believers. He's, he's laid out these truths, but now in response, how do we apply it to our lives? We apply it by not being debtors to the flesh, not responding to, to the commands of the flesh as it will try to dictate to us. The, the mindset of the flesh is death and it will continue to try to exercise authority over you. Despite the fact that you have given your life to, to Christ. So we have to like really take into consideration what he's saying here. That in light of all of these wonderful truths that we are debtors. And that we have to respond in such a fashion that would be pleasing to God. And so how do we do that? How do we kind of move into this space of what theologians call sanctification? Sanctification is the work of, of God to make us more into the image of Christ, but it's an ongoing work that we, we step into. Even though he doesn't use that particular word here in this passage, it undergirds what verses 12 and 13 are really all about. As I was thinking about my outline, my, my first point, the, the title of the sermon, I'm sorry I didn't say, um, is the obligation of the believer. My, my first point is be killing sin or sin will be killing you. It comes from uh, an older theologian, John Owens. I just thought that was one of the coldest phrases that I had ever heard. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. And this sin be killing you is this first part, or this second part, I should say, of verse 12, where he says, we are not debtors to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Don't get it mis misunderstood. Paul is not talking about physical death here. He's already kind of enlightened us to, as believers, our, we're going to die. That, that is something that we share with every person on the planet. Here he is talking about eternal death, the, the separation from God in the fullest sense of that. So it's a, a warning that we have to be very serious about. You know, like telling your children, I have children, and, and letting them know, hey, don't put your hand on that blue flame on the, on, on the stove because it will burn you. And if, if I've ever seen my child do something like that or maybe try to use a fork or some kind of object to put it into the, the socket or something like that, I don't say, hey, sweetie, don't do that. I say, no, don't do that. I, I, I want you, I mean, when you think about the consequences that my child would be facing, I'm not going to be soft about it. And Paul is not being soft. He is not being gentle and kind in this sense here. He is letting us know if you, you may claim to be a Christian. If, you, if your life is still set, if your mindset is set on the flesh, as he has said previously in verses 9 and 10, that you don't belong to him. Because the spirit hasn't come to indwell you. So like when we think about, when we take inventory of our own lives, if we are not seriously want, um, taking, uh, uh, paying attention to, man, where is my mindset at? Then we may be deceiving ourselves. Why does he say that? Because, it, or why do I say that? He says um, to, to follow that, that you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's in this relationship with the spirit. It's not our own strength and our ability to kill, kill sin or to 
kill flesh or kill the deeds of the body. Pastor AJ talked about that in our, our second week or third week. You know, technically it was our third week of, of walking through this particular chapter where the mindset on the flesh, the, the mindset on the spirit, there's a war that goes on in our mind that is a battlefield there and that we have to be cognizant of that, that fight that's there. Paul is reminding us that, that this battle is real, that the flesh really wants to kill you. And that the spirit has come, that he's taken up residence on the inside of us to strengthen us so that we can kill it. But when we look at the way that he has framed this, this is not a passive act on our end. The Holy Spirit doesn't just kind of wave his hand over you and you no longer struggle with pride issues. You no longer struggle with bearing false witness. Some, some of the things that, that we are challenged with, some of the ways that we have been raised in this broken world, whether it be within our own families or just things that we've caught from culture, perspective, mindsets, things that we thought were right, but we come to find out that are really wrong. Those things can reside deeply on the inside of us. And there is a war. There's a struggle that goes on. And so he uses some of the harshest language that he can use in saying that you have to kill sin. Like we don't play around with it. That like if I watch this TV program and it's going to lead me to do some things and look at some things on the Internet that I shouldn't. Well, I won't even do that. There, there may be some times where you and me, some people, oh, it don't take all that. Yes, it does, because I have to kill sin. I, I cannot just play around with this thing. This is not pleasing to my father. This is in no way honoring of him. I have to pay debt back to what he has done for me. Once again, I'm not earning my salvation. I'm not earning that. That has been declared over me because of what Jesus has done and him and God condemning sin in the flesh by putting Christ on the cross. So it's similar to the children of Israel as they were coming out of Egypt. You notice that Moses didn't go in and say, okay, here's the law. If you follow these laws for the next hundred years, then God will deliver you. No, he went in, they got delivered, then they were introduced to the law. God's love is that he draws us into the family. And then because we are in the family, man, this is the culture of the family. This is the way that we live. Paul, once again, understands, he, he explained it in, at the end of seven, that we can't do it in our own strength. And so he doesn't just say, take up this attitude of killing flesh and do it on your own. He says, do it by the spirit. Why does he say that? The argument continues in verse 14. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. You will live because you are a son of God. And you know you are a son of God because you are led by the spirit. There's this relationship that we have where we submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't given to us as a kind of a, a divine gopher where we can just tell the spirit what to do. But that we submit ourselves to his leadership. You understand that we have to really submit ourselves to his leadership, which means we have to have a relationship with him. That we don't just check in on a Sunday or just on a Wednesday night, but that it's an ongoing relationship with him that, 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 that really kind of 
pulls out or kind of fully expresses what Jesus says in John 8, that if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. You will be a disciple because it's this abiding in the word. It's this, this intimacy with the Holy Spirit where he will lead you in such a way that you will be able to kill the deeds of the body, the misdeeds of the body, some translations say. So it's, it's, it's vitally important that we understand that there's an active work that the believer has. There's, a, there's an obligation that we have on our end that we submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Kind of in thinking about this kind of submission to the Holy Spirit, um, I, I, I was reminded of, of my sons who, who are in college now. They're in their first year in college, and um, they are pursuing their athletic endeavors. And one of the things that they do is track and field and specifically hurdles. And I was having a conversation with one of my sons, and he had mentioned to me that one of the other guys who are there, they're at um, Iowa Central, um, which is a junior college in Fort Dodge, Iowa. Um, and he, he said that the, the young man runs in, in, in track, it's the 100, the open 100, which is there are no hurdles there. Um, he runs like a sub 10-5, which is incredibly fast. I mean, I don't know if that number is impressive to you, but if you ever see somebody moving with that kind of speed, I'm sure you will say, whoa, he was moving. <laughs> like, there would be a response to seeing something like that happen because the average person won't even sniff that. Like you would get your doors blown off. So in the open hundred, he was actually faster than my son. And he had kind of in a cocky way, and maybe I'm throwing a little sauce on it. I, my, my son didn't say it like that. But I, in my imagination, I, I, I think of this young man interacting with my son. And he's saying, look, I can just train a little bit and I'll be able to beat you in the hurdles. And my son said, you know, I've probably gone over the hurdle well over 100,000 times. Because I've been doing this for six years. And you think that you can just come instantaneously be able to do what I do and do it even better? And he laughed at it. Or he laughed at the thought of that even happening. Why do I bring that up? Because my son had to consistently present himself to a trainer over the last six years so that he would have the ability to go over the hurdle. In the hurdles race, it's 110 meters that they cover, but there are certain amount of steps that you have from the start to the first hurdle. They, they measure that, and they... they train extremely hard to be able to get those steps down. And then there's three steps in between each hurdle. Like not four, not five, because you will lose time or you jump too high. If your trail leg isn't just right, if you're not moving your arms in the right way, you throw yourself off and your time is increased, which means you're moving a lot slower than you want to be moving. The idea that we can come to Christ and live and kill the flesh in our own strength is really an erroneous idea that harkens back to what the Pharisees did. It's, it's, it's a part of Paul's testimony that like when he said concerning the law, I was, I was blameless. Like no one could really tell you what sin I had as he was living as a Pharisee, but he realized that, man, all of that was dung. It, it, it's of no effect because at this, my righteousness, as it says in Jeremiah, is like a, a filthy rag before God. And so, like, if we hear this warning and we, we move in such a way where we're doing it in our own strength, when we're trying to kill sin in our own strength, 
we will find that we're like this, this guy who proclaims that he can run the hurdles and he'll end up kicking hurdles over and falling over or falling woefully short of somebody who may, in an open race without hurdles, be able to, to, to not run as fast as him. He'll find himself falling woefully short of that same person who knows the correct technique and the proper steps and the way to do it. The Holy Spirit is the one who really knows how to do it. And it's in that coming to him, it's in that presenting yourself to him on an ongoing basis that you get the training that you need. That your mind, as Paul will say later on in this chapter, that you'll have your mind renewed and you'll be transformed and no longer conform to the world. It's in that relationship. It's in that intimacy there. I, I, I really need you to, to grab that. I know some of you may be like, why does he keep hitting this? Because at the end of the day, we are debtors to what God has done for us. And God still wants holiness to be displayed in the earth. There, there is a goal that God has to extend his kingdom. More and more and more. And though we can learn evangelistic techniques, and there, there are certainly things that we need to learn. A changed life, a changed life speaks just as much, if not more, to those who know you or are in close proximity to you. That changed life is why we are here today. I, I truly believe that as, I, as you look at the history of Christianity and the, the persecution that was going against those in the, the first church and being fed to lions in the Colosseum and some of the, the just the horrible ways that they were treated. There were still men and women giving their lives to Christ because of the changed lives that they were seeing. It was the impact of the Holy Spirit being able to produce his fruit in their lives that brought about change. Our mission here at Grace Covenant Church is not to just be filled up with knowledge of, of the Bible and, and make ourselves holier than thou. It is to win the city. And, and for that to happen, we need the Holy Spirit to train us. We absolutely need the Holy Spirit to train us. So how... Is that training kind of characterized? Because we get a glimpse of how the, whole, the, 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 the flesh will present itself as if you are a debtor to the, the mindset of the flesh. You, you, you are one who is um, supposed to do what your body tells you to do or your flesh tells you to do. How do we know when the Holy Spirit is leading us? And though I don't think this is a a full exploration of what that is. I think there are some things that we can take out of verses 15 through 17 that I think will help us. And my second point is I think it's characterized by sonship. Already we see in, in verse 14 that for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Look how Paul goes into verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Holy Spirit's kind of interaction with us is an affirmation of who we are in God. It's, it's this, this idea, as I kind of said earlier, it's, I mean, you are now a child of the Most High God. This is how we behave. It's a calling up to something much better. It's a calling up into real life as God intended it to be. Not what the world presents to us, which is really self-centered. Even the actions that we do that are good are really coming from a self-centered disposition, a, 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 a disposition of, of, of ungodliness. 
And so the Holy Spirit calls us up into something greater. And one of the fantastic thoughts that come from this is, is that the spirit of adoption in, in, in Roman times, in, in Paul's time, adoption was something that was amazing. Like you were conferred the status of a natural born child. That, that all of the debt, and, and it, just a quick side note, it didn't, you could be adopted even as an adult. It wasn't just, you know, little children. But any kind of debt, any kind of things that had in, been incurred in your life, the one, the, the father who chose you would incur that debt on himself. He would take care of it. He would bring you in and you would become, as we will see later, an heir of the estate that's there. Adoption wasn't this kind of negative thing. It was a very positive thing that, that Paul is, is pointing us to, this adoption as sons. And, and, and I know that we're using the male kind of verb here, but it includes ladies as well, sons and daughters. It's important to recognize this because if the Holy Spirit comes and or if you get, let me say it this way. If, the, if, if you are um, positioned where you feel like I have to do something, I, I feel this indebtedness towards it. It's not going to come through the mechanism of fear. Because we haven't been given a spirit of slavery that leads back to fear. The Holy Spirit is not characterized by producing fear on the inside of us. Yes, there, there is a fear of the Lord, absolutely, in, 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 in grasping the magnitude of he is and, and, and understanding that he holds all wisdom, understanding and knowledge in his hands, that we respect that and we, and we humbly submit ourselves to him. But he doesn't browbeat you. He doesn't drive you into the way that you should live. Which is what kind of leads into that kind of, or I should say, it feeds into this idea that we can be passive in this Christian life. Because the Holy Spirit, he lets you know, hey, this is the way to go. But because he doesn't drive you into doing it, we kind of make it our own option. We, we, we kind of, we do it like if it's not too hard. I'll give you an example of, of what I'm saying in terms of how we approach it when I was... Um, July 18th last year, unfortunately, I was stabbed, and there was some ramifications that came from that. I, I was in the hospital for 30 days, and while I was in the hospital, because I was laying on my side, um, I developed what someone called, like, um, scar tissue in my shoulders. So, like, right now, I can only lift m my arms up this high. And if I try to go higher, man, it produces some, <laughs> some real pain on the inside, or not on the inside, on, in my body, though, um, so much so that at times, like, I could kind of buckle at the knee because of the pain, just the sharp pain that will come. Um, but I knew that, hey, like I'm way out of shape. I've been in the bed for 30 days. I need to kind of get back in the gym. So I tried to go to the gym. And I think the important point there is that I tried. <laughs> I, I went to the gym. Um, uh, the guy who was helping me, my trainer, he, he, he instructed me to kind of use these dumbbells to, to kind of do like a military press over my head with the dumbbells. And I did that, and, and the pain kind of shot through. And I said, hey, man, I cannot do this. He said, oh, it's just scar tissue. Let me work it out. And he, he started to kind of massage it. And, man, the pain was so great. Like, I, only my pride as a man kept me from crying. But, oh, man, I wanted to cry. And because of that pain, guess who has not been back to the gym? Sometimes what the Holy Spirit will lead us into in this killing of the flesh, he, Paul alludes to it in verse 17, that it can be described as suffering. Like some of the suffering may be like what I received in getting stabbed. 
But a lot of it is just this internal dying to your desires, to your worldly desires. I mean, it is not something that is enjoyable. The flesh will lie to you. Oh, no, God would never intend that for you. But we just need to look at Jesus who grew in wisdom, who grew in obedience, even to the point of death. That there's a joining into that suffering that the Holy Spirit will lead us into. But it's characterized by this, hey, you are a child of the Most High God. You have been adopted into the family. This is a way of life. Our motivation comes from a gospel-centered position. Man, I am no longer condemned. I've been set free. I'm going to walk in this as a pleasing way or a pleasing um, manner to my father. And the Holy Spirit will strengthen me to be able to make it through. So we can't be kind of this, 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 this person who looks at the trainer, sees the difficulty that they, they bring, and we decide not to do it because there's another one who's coming, this flesh, who would like to present you back in, or put you back into this space of slavery who would love to, to, to put fear on you, to make you do what its biddings are. Say you're at work and there's a, a situation that arises and you know if you tell the truth, man, this is going to present some serious issues for me. And that temptation to lie is presented to you. And that fear that undergirds it, that if you tell the truth, you're going to lose your job. That house that you have, you're going to lose that. That everything that you own is, is susceptible to being lost now because you, you, you think that you're, you're going to tell the truth and God's going to provide for you. We won't even go that far in the argument. It would just present the fear to you. Well, I can recognize that's not the Holy Spirit. That is not the direction that I want to go to. I don't, I don't want to take on that mindset. I'm, I want to cry, Abba, Father, I need help here because the temptation is great, but I know that you are greater. And it's in that fellowship, in that relationship, is that constant presenting yourself to the Holy Spirit on a day-to-day basis that we go through this process of sanctification and we are being delivered from it. Verse, verse 16 further confirms this idea that I have that this, this, this leading, this training that the Spirit takes us through, the power that he provides to us to kill sin is found in sonship. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He, re, he affirms, he reaffirms that you are a child of God. When you fall, you are a child of God. Get back up. Let's, let's continue in this walk or in this race that you are in. It's here that we begin to show or to satisfy this obligation that we have to what God has, has done for us. Once again, we are not earning anything from God. It is a response to the love that he has bestowed on us. But we want to be very serious about it in, 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 in following that, the dictates of the Holy Spirit, so that we can keep in step with him. Because this is what sons of God do. We are led by the Spirit. This is what we do. This is who we are. We, we, we don't want to fall short to something else, something beneath being a son of God. Not that we are arrogant or think we're better than anyone else, but man, we are a royal priesthood. You're royalty. 
Like let, let that sit down on the inside of you, what God has made you, who he has made you to be. You are not these grasshoppers that the, that the, the, the children of Israel thought when they first went into the promised land. That is not you. And we are children of the most high God. That we can stand up to any Goliath and know that we can take him. Not because of how strong I am, it's because of who is with me. It's not because of how strong I am, it's because who is with me. And I put my confidence in this, in this relationship, so much so that I can cry, Abba, Father, that when I go into prayer and I speak to him, I approach him as a father because I know that he will protect me. He will be a refuge and a fortress to me. Amen. And that we will see victory. I think finally, as we look at verse 17, what great rewards await us. It's the point that I think. As the Holy Spirit has, or as Paul has laid out that, um, verse 14, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. That you wasn't given a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we have this intimacy so intimate that we say, Abba, Father. Kind of using the same language that Jesus used in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's the only one that really talked to God in that fashion, that, that calling him daddy, that we've been brought into that space, into that relational space with him. That the Holy Spirit is, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Man, if we are willing to suffer, if we are willing to fight and kill sin, man, there are great rewards that await us. Verse 17 says, if children, then heirs. <laughs> what? I don't think y'all get that. You're an heir of God? Doesn't God own everything? No, I mean everything. Like Mars, Jupiter, like not just, don't just think the earth, like the universe. He owns everything. And he can produce ex nihilo, meaning he can produce from nothing. So we don't even know what's to come. And we are heir. To further that point, he says we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Man, come on, man. That's, that's bananas right there. I hope you understand what I mean when I say bananas. Like, it's, it's crazy. What? Co-heirs with Jesus? I mean, you just, you study um, scripture and you see what, what, I mean, look at um, Hebrews 12 too. It says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And Jesus saw the reward that he would have was so great that he was willing to endure the cross. And we are co-heirs with him, provided we suffer with him. I mean, we, there is a great inheritance, and I know through the rest of this chapter, we will kind of explore that more. So I don't want to continue to bang that hammer. But I, I just, I'm just as a primer, man, this is, this is ridiculous that, 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 that we are co-heirs with Jesus, provided we suffer with him, provided we get up with the trainer on a consistent basis, and, and we are killing sin, that we be killing sin, or sin will be killing us. 
That we understand that warning, that we don't take it lightly. We, we regard ourselves as debtors to what God has already done for us. So in response, God, what you have done, I want to walk with the Holy Spirit. I want to walk with you. And that relationship is characterized by him affirming that I am genuinely a part of the family. That I'm a co-heir with Christ. That I am genuinely a part of the family. Like Abraham is my brother. Jesus, I'm co-heir with Jesus. He caps it off by saying that if we're willing to go through the suffering, verse 17, and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The glory that awaits us, verse, I just got to go into verse 18, I won't. I won't open it up but so much, but for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You have to have an eternal perspective. You have to have an eternal perspective. You have to have an eternal perspective. Because it will motivate you today. My sons who are in college, they're in junior college, they, they did not train for five years to go to a junior college. COVID happened. They lost their junior season of track. Recruiting, it just messed up a lot of things. And the path that God laid out for them was going through this junior college. And I know that there are some people who passionately love Fort Dodge, Iowa, but that is not where they want to be. It's just not. Fort Dodge is not the D.C. metropolitan area. So they get up at five in the morning to go train. My son told me that because he is so competitive that some of the guys who run a faster open 100, that when they are in drills, they, they compete because they understand that, hey, if you want a scholarship to one of these bigger schools, you're going to have to go get it. And you have to be faster than the next man. It's not, oh, I hope you do well. No, like I have to be faster than this guy if I want to get a scholarship. So he's pushing himself to the point where there are times where he's throwing up. Get back on the line. I got to run it even faster than I did before. Not making excuses. Because he sees something in his immediate future. The potential to be going to a power five school is, is something that is helping to drive him. If you don't have an eternal perspective, then you lose sight of this glory that awaits us. And so, like I did in the gym, man, this pain is too great. James, thank you for your willingness to train me, but nah, bro, I'm not going to do this. And we make ourselves, we live underneath what God intended for us. And if we're not careful, we may be deceiving ourselves into believing we're saved and we're really not saved. But when you keep this perspective about eternity, and you could get stabbed in the chest and come back and continue to teach, continue to do what God has called you to do. 
You can be lied on by your boss or some um, co-worker that you have, and they seem to take the, 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 the credit for projects that you have done, and, and you feel like you're being done dirty. Maybe there's some racism involved, and you're not being treated the way that you should have been treated, or maybe as a woman, you're not being paid the way that you should, but you can endure doing what God has called you to do. Because you know that, man, even if I was an heir of Bill Gates or the guy who owns Amazon, it wouldn't even compare. Would not even compare to what awaits me as a co-heir of Jesus. This evening, I've really tried to kind of reserve my energy and try to keep it down because you have to be motivated. We are debtors to what God has done. I don't want to give you a pep talk like we're in a locker room about to go out in the second half to go take the field in a football game. I I intentionally have tried to kind of keep it down. I know that I haven't done great at that, but, but the point that I've tried to do is help you to understand that we are obligated to God, but it's in light of what he's done. And as we continue to gaze on what he's done, the love that he's shown us, and it helps us to walk closer with the Holy Spirit, his affirmation that we are children and that we will be killing sin so that sin won't be killing us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much, so, so very much for all the work that you have done to bring us to yourself. Even before the foundation of the earth, you've chosen us. Help us to walk as debtors, as Paul has laid out here, so that we will have lives that will will be sanctified in such a way that we look more and more like Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen.